Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 6 of Faith, Tech, and Space. Uh, good to be with you. That was Scott Holmes leading us into this with a, a piece of music called Mountains All Around Us. And uh, just as you know, I picked that song in that because of that. I like the beat of it, but the name, Mountains All Around Us, that means we might be in a valley, but there's always mountains, mountaintops, those mountaintop experiences in life, whether it be faith or any other aspect of your life that we have, right? Success at work or success in life. Uh, faith, spiritual, religion, whatever it is, there's always those mountaintops around us, no matter how far down in the valley we are. So it's a great little tune. Um, episode six. So I'm going to start off today talking a little bit about what I've been doing over the last 24 to 36 hours. Uh, those of you that follow me on Twitter know that I made an excursion down to Cape Canaveral, down to Cocoa Beach, that area, because Friday night, right before midnight East Coast time, SpaceX launched a Falcon 9 with a Dragon cargo capsule on board. Um, and so I was able to watch from Cocoa Beach. Right there, there's a pier on the north end of Cocoa Beach, um, and I was able to watch from right there. did some photography, shared photos, and shared all that experience and things like that. But that was the CRS-20 launch. Now, the CRS stands for Cargo Resupply, and it was the 20th mission SpaceX has launched to the space station since they got this contract. It's also the final mission. They had a contract for 20 cargo supply missions, taking cargo up and bringing cargo back, because SpaceX right now with the, crew, with the Cargo Dragon is the only spacecraft that's able to return back to Earth through, uh, through a normal recovery process, kind of like the old school days of uh, the... Uh, Mercury, Gemini, Apollo uh, shuttle, it could return from orbit. Um, and uh, so they're able to bring things back, bring supplies back, bring medical back, bring all that kind of stuff, science results, etc. cetera. Uh, significant to this one, they did a booster landing back at Cape Canaveral Air Force Station, landing zone one, uh, and that was the 50th booster landing. You might remember a couple weeks earlier, they attempted a booster landing at sea, but something was not right, and the booster uh, did not... Uh, land on the barge, but it actually landed in the water. I think they were able to recover it, but I'm not sure how much they were able to recover. It was also the final flight of the version one of Dragon, uh, which was purely a cargo vehicle, right? It was never built or rated for men, for, for humans. Um, the next cargo Dragon that goes up will be of the line that can fly either cargo or passengers, i.e. astronauts. So, uh, that is the end of their first contract with NASA. They are already under contract to continue cargo resupply missions, so we will continue to see this. And starting with the next one, it will be um, th that the type of dragon that could either be uh, persons or cargo, so it can be configured either way. So congratulations on SpaceX on that finishing that first contract, and I, which I think started back in 2012 is when it began. Um, I do remember I was invited to a NASA social. Uh, that was part of, I think it was CRS-2 maybe, maybe 4. It was one of the early ones. Uh, so we got to go down to Kennedy and get the normal NASA social tour and uh, watch the launch from the press site. So uh, it's great to see them have made this progress. Eight years, 20 launches to ISS, taking supplies. And sometime this year, it looks like Dragon will launch, Falcon 9 will launch, SpaceX will launch astronauts from U.S. soil to the space station, which is going to be awesome. I got to imagine there was quite a crowd on the beach for a midnight launch uh, Friday night, but uh, I got to imagine the crowd is going to be intensely huge when it's time to send astronauts up. And of course, if I'm available and I'm around, I'll be there, no doubt about it, because that is significant history. Um, jumping into the faith part of the show, like I usually do to lead things off, um, just to kind of catch you guys up where I'm at in formation, where my cohort, uh, the other seven men that are in formation with me, um, we are currently still in our sacramental theology class online. That is through the Josephinium College out of uh, Ohio. Um, and recently we've been studying holy orders, which is um, ordination to the diaconate the priesthood, and as for bishops. Those are the three holy orders that are uh, part of the church. And then we've also uh, been studying penance and marriage. Marriage is a sacrament in the Catholic Church. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's the one sacrament that the priest or the deacon witnesses, not actually performs. They witness the couple making the sacramental commitment to each other. So it's, it's unique in that the, 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 the 
presider, the cleric, the whether it be the deacon or the priest, um, do not perform the rite. It's the couples. They're simply a witness. For the deacon or priest is a witness for the church to the sacrament. And then the sacrament of penance or confession, uh, which is uh, uh, a very significant and important uh, sacrament, one, just for, for day-to-day life, uh, to deal with those, those sins that we encounter in our life each day, but um, also because of the time of year we're in, which is Lent. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that as I wrap up things here in this segment of the show. I did want to mention locally, um, next Saturday we will be in class about Catholic Church history in Florida. And we'll learn a little bit about that. And then a couple weeks later, we make a field trip down to St. Augustine, and we're going to visit Our Lady of La Leche Mission and Shrine, uh, which is a beautiful piece of land that's right there on the intracoastal, on the uh, the river. And uh, in fact, later this year, Our Lady of Leche is going to be crowned and uh, designated a national shrine uh, here in the United States. So... Uh, we're looking forward to see that happen and, and things of that nature. It's a beautiful little spot. Um, my wife and I have been lucky enough to attend Easter Mass, um, Easter Sunrise Services down there one year. Unfortunately, they don't do it anymore, but um, it's really beautiful. The rustic, what they call the rustic altar, the outdoor altar, uh, and then they have the large iron cross that is also part of that property. And then you have the little chapel, uh, Our Lady Leche Chapel, and then you have a larger church that's there as well for the shrine. So looking forward to that field trip because I haven't seen it. They had to do some work down there because of flooding during one of the recent storms in the last year, year and a half. They had to do some work, and so they've had to change some things around. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. I haven't been down there for a while to see that since that work was done. So I've got a link in the show notes that you'll see for the Shrine of Our Lady of La Leche at Mission Nombre de Dios, the name of God, uh, and you'll be able to see that. And then I wanted to mention this period of time we're in in the church year. So the church year is divided into different seasons. Um, You have um, um, ordinary time, and then you have the season of Lent, the season of Easter, and then you have ordinary time again, and then you have the season of Advent and the season of Christmas. So we at, currently, we started back on February 26th with Ash Wednesday. I think when I recorded the last show, we were getting ready for Ash Wednesday. Um, so now we have uh, seen Ash Wednesday, and in fact, today is the second Sunday of Lent. So when we, uh, in fact, today the gospel is around the transfiguration. Um, of Christ to his disciples and to a couple of his disciples, not all of them. I think it was three total. But so, so the season of Lent uh, runs from February 26th until Easter Sunday on April 12th. And then from there, we're in the season of Easter, which is for 50 days before the, uh, the uh, uh, ascension, when, when Christ ascended back into heaven to his Father. So during Lent, um, we, we're asked to focus on a few specific things, uh, fasting uh, or for um, being prayerful and reading scripture, be of service by giving alms, practice self-control through fasting. Uh, there are, there are um, obligatory fasting in the church. So on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, it is a, a normal fasting day, so that means you have one main meal, uh, in, and the other two meals cannot equal a uh, main meal, so they can be little snacks, and no snacking in between. And then every Friday is a day of abstinence in that we abstain from eating meat on Fridays during Lent. Um, and then reflection, taking the time to, to pray more, to reflect more on the church and, and our role in the church and, and, our, and during Lent and our, our humanness, our sinfulness and be prepared for the resurrection on Easter and then, uh, you know, be able to, to move into the Easter season. The season of Lent is also the time when uh, those who have been called to uh, join the church, they're either a catechumen in that they've never been baptized before as a Christian, or they are a candidate. That means they've been baptized, a Christian baptism, but they will be accepted into the church. So both of those, the candidates and the catechumens, they go through a series of, um, of uh, rites during the course of Lent, uh, the, the rite of election, and then their names in the book, and then the, what's called the scrutinies. And then on Easter Vigil, so the night before Easter, after sundown, we have the Easter Vigil Mass. And during that Mass, uh, they will enter the church and they will um, usually receive these sacraments. If they have to be baptized, they'll be baptized. If they um, are already baptized, then they will receive uh, First Communion. 
and then they will also receive confirmation. So they get those three rites of what we call the sacraments of initiation. They will get them on Easter vigil uh, at that mass. So it's it's a special time of the year for us to very much reflect and, and look at things uh, in our life and what we can do better to be more uh, truthful to the gospel and things like that. So I do have a link here if you're interested uh, to the USCCB website and it explains a little bit more with some other links to other parts of the season of Lent to help you understand that better if you're interested. Okay, thanks. I uh, appreciate you letting me share that with you. All right, let's talk a little bit about Windows Insider stuff and jump into the tech side of the Faith, Tech, and Space podcast. Uh, since the last show, I, I think I've got my count right. We've had two Insider build releases, 19569 and 19577 in the fast ring. That's Windows 10 vNext, right? We talked about what vNext is. That it is the That is where all the features are going to be integrated first, and then at some point down the road, they'll branch off of that to create... The, the fall feature updates and the next update being 20H2. So the VNEX is not called 20H2. It's going to be the branch where that, that 20H2 build for the fall is going to come out of and then it will be finalized, no new features added, and it will be finalized. And in fact, that's what's going on right now with uh, 20H1, the first feature update of this year. It's currently at build 19041.113, I think, or at least that was the last one. It was released into the slow ring. And then they also released 19041.84 to the Windows Update Services. So if you're an enterprise um, person and you're testing this, you can put it into your WSUS and help deploy it to those machines that are testing it for release. Now here's the great thing is 19041 in the slow ring has been in the slow ring since December. So that's December to Jan, Feb, March. So we're at three months almost where this has been in the slow ring. Each month on Patch Tuesday, it's been getting serviced. And so I believe what they're planning to do is to just kind of keep cooking that at this level, keep it in slow ring, service it each month so it stays up to date security-wise. And then, again, we think next month, the April time frame, is when this is going to release probably to insiders and some kind of a final build. Maybe after Patch Tuesday in April might be the time frame. Uh, but they will make a formal announcement to say this is the the release to manufacturing or what we used to call RTM. Uh, build. Uh, they did release ISOs also for Windows 10 20H1, so build 19041. There are ISOs available to download from the Insider website if you want to do a clean install of that. <clears throat> so that is kind of where we stand. So you got 20H1 brewing and cooking up and kind of getting solidified, and Windows 10 V next. Haven't seen a lot of new features in it, although this last build they did change the way they're configuring the. Um, diagnostic data, right? So there's a mandatory level of diagnostic data that that you had to always provide when you were in the Insider program. So what they've done is they have made a change to basically, um, let me find what that says. It says um, uh, the the settings, It I think you get asked an enhanced option there. And so the basic setting is now mandatory. So that's the given. And then you can opt in and out of the full blown uh, stack of telemetry and data. So you have that option for you in 19577, the latest build. So there's not been a lot of new features introduced. They did introduce a new icon for Windows security in the latest build. Um, and they talk a lot about stuff releasing around these builds, but they're not part of the builds. For instance, uh, Power Toys came out with version 0.15.1 that's being worked on, which, oh, by the way, is really a nice update because I use that for um, you know managing my screen for my what's called fancy zones where my apps pop up at on the screen because I have a widescreen monitor. It's really a lot more stable and more compatible now. It's not a final release. This is still in preview. Uh, and what else? Let's see. They did show off this past week. They had a Windows Insider webcast and they did talk about the new tiles. And they did show off some concepts for what the new start menu might look like. And it would have a, a, a flat, not flat, flat, but in the sense of flat, but a standard one color for dark mode, one color for light mode to help kind of enhance the view of the new icons that are coming out. Um, on the edge side of things, let's see. The new edge is actually starting to roll out. Um, I on one of my machines, which I think might have been a release preview, I actually got new edge. Uh, offered up to me in Windows Update, and then it replaced Legacy Edge and took over. So no big deal, went very well and smooth, no problems. Um, so that has started to happen more and more. I think they're just focused in on the release preview at this point. Um, the um, 
They did talk a little bit about unwanted applications. There's a new setting available in, in Edge now that protects from those unwanted applications from running. It's a simple toggle that you turn on. Uh, Dev Channel has been updated, so I've got a link to the latest about Dev Channel. I've got a link to the top feedback for March 4th, which is the beginning of March here. So you can see what the top feedback items are within the Edge Insider community. And then uh, this was something I caught in the Edge forums on Microsoft Tech Community. But apparently now Edge, you can trigger a flag. A flag is an experimental setting where you can toggle it on. And you, apparently you can now use Chrome themes in the latest update on Edge Canary. I haven't tried it myself. I just, I've got a link to the post here so you can go read it. But apparently that is now available as an option for you to, if you'd like to theme your browser. Okay, and the other thing is I always do uh, the builds, the current list of builds that are out. So Edge Canary is in version 82, and it's on .446.0. Edge Dev is also in version 82. It's in .439.1. Uh, and then Edge Beta is in version 81, and that's at 81, uh, that's .416.20. And then Edge Stable is still in version 80. .361.66. So I suspect very soon Edge Stable should move up into 81 because that's where Edge Beta is at and that's where Stable comes from. And then Edge Beta, likely in its next update, which is about every six weeks, should move into version 82. And that's how we should see it moving up the line. So that's it's uh, Edge, Edge is doing very well. Um, I'm, I recently went through a complete redo of my favorites. Favorites got really messed up about 10 days ago, and I think they may have been doing some work on it from what I read and could gather. So I basically turned on every device. I have about five devices currently running Edge in different states. I run all four channels. So I turned on every device. I deleted every favorite that was there, and I rebuilt my favorites on one device and watched it populate and um you know, matriculate out to the other devices, and so I'm, I've I've gotten fairly stable now with with the um, with the favorites. It can be challenging though. Uh, I think they're still working on some bugs for that. I think that's why it's not become mainstream. But however, um, they are rolling out now in Canary. I just recently got Extension Sync, and of course we have Collection Sync that's been out for a bit. So you've got Collection Sync turned on. In some devices, you'll have Extension Sync. And of course, Favorite Syncs has been on for a while. So they're really working on that syncing engine and to try to get things rolling properly so that it can be used and, and that we can turn around and have that kind of reliability on our browser and stuff like that. I probably don't help things by running all four channels. I imagine the syncing of Favorites would be pretty stable if I was just running one branch or one or you know any branch. I don't think it would matter, Canary, Dev, Beta, or Stable. Um, I choose to run them all because I keep up with all of them, right? I keep up with what's going on in each of them. So I, I would imagine that if you're running only Edge Stable, you're probably in good shape when it comes to those favorites syncing in and out and between devices. So, and, and in doing my reset, I also reset mobile. So that allowed me to get mobile cleaned up as well. So I, I feel pretty good about where I stand with all the Edge stuff right now. All right, down the miscellaneous tech of stuff that's going on. So we had uh, Microsoft, Apple, HP, and many, many other companies because of the coronavirus or what's called COVID-19 uh, that have basically come out and said, look, our, our outlooks, our financial outlooks for this quarter are not going to hit the mark. We're going to be below in, um, revenue because of the virus and the impact it's having in the in industry. All right. However, Microsoft, so, so Microsoft just ordered all their workers last week to home for three weeks working from home ordered. They recommended it heavily. I think most have taken them up on it. They have, um, they have, uh, are working from home. So this work from home thing, and now we're seeing Amazon do it. We're seeing Google do it. We're seeing large companies start to do this. And it's probably the largest influx of people working from home that has ever been experienced period in tech. And I think it's a, it's going to be a test of infrastructure. It's going to be test of the public internet coming in and out of homes and things like that to support this remote connectivity. I think the tools are there. If your company is in the cloud or using cloud-based services, all you got to have is an internet connection and you can access things like your email and your documents and things of that nature. It doesn't matter who you're with, right? It doesn't matter if it's Google or Amazon or Microsoft. If it's, if it's cloud-based, you, you just need an internet connection. To, re, to access more sensitive 
uh, corporate resources, you might need a VPN. So there's a lot of VPN work going on. I mean, I'm in that boat. When I need to access financial sites for my company, I have to be on our VPN, which basically VPN means you're on the network, right? It valid validates your identity. You're not just some uh, random IP address coming in and then providing a username password. So it helps increase that level of security. So, uh, but the, this coronavirus has impacted a lot of stuff. I don't have a list here, but you know things like Game Developer Conference. That's actually uh, hosted by my parent company, Informa. Um, South by Southwest finally canceled for next week. They're not having their big conference. Google I.O., um, Microsoft canceled the MVP summit that was supposed to be starting here very soon. Um, and we've had a whole string of events that have been canceled or cut back severely, a lot of them becoming virtual online events. So uh, there's, it has caused a ton of stuff to be affected, and it should, right? Because it's a dangerous thing. We have to be overly con conscious and to be careful because you don't want to uh, aggravate or, or increase the opportunity for spread. Uh, there's already enough challenges, and if you are in a, a sensitive population for this thing, then you certainly don't want to be exposed to that stuff. So companies and businesses making these choices are making the right call. Uh, and it should help with the overall spread and things like that uh, and containment of it. So it's unfortunate, but that's kind of the way it is. But it's certainly a time for technology to kind of prove its worth, right, in this remote environment. Um, Microsoft wrote up about how businesses and schools are staying connected in response to this. Um, Microsoft wrote about how, and Google both wrote about how teachers can keep their lessons going remotely to the kids through those tools and those communications resources, uh, working remotely during challenging times. Then we're seeing a lot of content related to working from home. I've been working from home since 2014 um, in, in this job. So I've been in this job coming up on six years and I've been working from home that entire time. So you developed habits. You, you have to have some habits. And so a lot of writing going on about that as well. Uh, I wanted to point you to a really good link. This high school student near Seattle has built a website that's serving at a, as an excellent resource for coronavirus information. So you can check that out. Um, in fact, because of the attention coronavirus is getting, it is also the attention of malware makers. And so there are coronavirus malware running around sent to what they believe can be millions of people. Got some suggestions on what you can do. Don't click on bad links. Go to this story. Read up on this story because it will help you sort that out. Um, so, so to kind of put a, a wrap around this whole coronavirus thing, be smart, be careful. Uh, listen to the authorities. Social distancing is the best means of not making contact with others. There's lots of changes in the Catholic Church. There are changes going on to where they, you know, they're asking parishioners to, they're not uh, distributing communion with the cup. They're asking uh, parishioners to take communion on the hand, not on the tongue. Um, and so there's, in fact, I just read just before I sat down to record this show, I just read that in Italy, the government has ordered that there will be no public masses until the 3rd of April. Now, now we're in the season of Lent. Easter Sunday is just nine days after that. So, um, and it's the most holy week of the year in the Catholic Church and in many churches. So that's a significant step forward. Now, I've got two uh, stepsons that live in Italy, and the government there is being extremely aggressive, shutting down borders of regions and res severely restricting movement in order to get control of the outbreak and spread of this virus. Um, not every country is doing that. So you have to be smart, you have to be wise, you have to you know, do those things like proper hand washing, which is all over the social media right now. So do those things, okay? Do those things to take care of you. All right, let's jump into some other non-virus related stuff. So a really interesting white paper from Microsoft about why multi-factor authentication should be a top priority in 2020. Some really interesting reading there. If you are not doing multi-factor authentication, you should check into that. Um, ad duplex. So the February report, ad duplex is this ad network, right? I've talked about it before. I've talked about their stats before. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a segment of those on Windows PCs. And uh, this year, this month's report is based on uh, 90,000 Windows 10 PCs that were surveyed. And what they're showing is, is that the... So Windows 10 version 1903, which was from last spring a year ago, is still on more than 52% of machines. And then the Windows 10 1909 update, that was the September update, 
is on 22.6% machines. And then the next one is Windows 10 18. Oh, no, that's 1809. Where is, where is, where am I looking for? 1909 is the current release. That's right, because we're getting ready to see 2004. So 22.6%, which is a jump. Um, and so that is a move up, and it is so you're starting to see that move away from 1903 to 1909 in, in this data. Still a significant number of people on 1809, 16.5%, and then everything else is under 5%. So uh, those are the big three players right now, it seems, amongst Windows 10 PC. So it's interesting data. Again, it's, it's informative, uh, but again, because it's only a snapshot, you have to look at it that way. Microsoft announced that they and the NFL are now expanding their partnership. Uh, and in fact, so they're going to still be doing the Surface thing, but now Teams is part of this. So Microsoft Teams is a big part of the NFL deal. Um, what else? Uh, mobility. So Microsoft's talking about how they're going to drive mobility in the next decade. We're hearing Microsoft Surface Duo might launch early, might launch this summer. There's some reports floating around that that's going to happen. Around that same time, we saw a leaked video that showed what's called the Surface Duo Peak feature. It's where you, you kind of open the, the, the two-fold screen, and you get to see a little column open up that shows you your alerts and messages and things like that. Uh, of course, that led to a story that said, Microsoft should really put a screen on the outside of the Surface Duo for those kind of glances and stuff like that. Um, and then the big, big news in this past week, uh, maybe it was 10 days ago, is that Microsoft, it was when we got a new release of the uh, Windows 10 V-Next, so I think it was um, 19569, and the big deal about Cortana. Cortana is moving, is coming out of the OS. You're still going to, so you're going to have to sign in with a Microsoft account or an Azure Directory account or an Act, Azure Active Directory account or an Active Directory account. And it's going to be for our productivity. Yeah, you'll still be able to do some of the silly little things, but the big deal is connected homes coming out, ability to control third-party, uh, uh, have third-party skills involved, or to control third-party music services like Spotify. Those are gone. They are going to be gone in the next release of Windows 10. So that would be 20H1. Now, right now, the, the fast ring and slow ring builds. So slow ring has the new version of Cortana. It's an app. We've seen that for several months now but it is an extremely limited app. But if you sign in with your Microsoft account or your AD or AAD account, you'll be able to use it for productivity, reminders, emails, calendaring, um, and, and to be able to hear your emails and hear your calendar and things of that nature. But that's going to be about the extent of it. So that means those those uh, fancy Harman Kardon invokes, of which I have two sitting here in my uh, home office, are going to be really nice Bluetooth speakers. And they are nice speakers, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm lucky enough to have gotten one under hardware preview, so I didn't have to pay for that. And then the second one I picked up for less than $50 when they were going on fire sale. So they are nice speakers. I still use them with Spotify. Spotify still recognizes them as speakers, but I'm not sure what will happen to all that once Windows 10 uh, 2004 comes out here in a few months, in a couple months, few weeks. So we'll be watching that. So big deal changes about Cortana. Not surprising, though. Not surprising. Uh, the new Office app is now generally available for Android and iOS. So this is that app that was announced, uh, I think, last fall. It's got kind of ties in all your Office apps and uh, productivity stuff to make it easier to kind of access everything in one spot. So there is an Office app for Windows 10, but it's also now generally available on Android and iOS. Um, talking about, I think I may have mentioned new icons earlier, but I've got the link to the World of Windows, designing the World of Windows blog post on Medium that's talking about the new icons. And in fact, they have started rolling those out. Some of them are coming to Insiders. I've actually seen them come on Insider builds, both fast and slow ring. I've seen them on release preview, and I've seen them on production devices. Different levels and variations on which ones are available at each level. But they're, they're really starting to look nice. They still have some work to do, right? They got to show, they got to standardize colors, I think, now on the start menu. Um, I'd rather see them get rid of the tile framing, but live tiles aren't going anywhere. They announced in a, a Windows Insider webcast this week that those of us that want Windows Live tiles can keep them turned on. Those of us that don't want Windows Live tiles on um, Windows 10 can turn them off. Uh, it, so they're leaving it at that choice right now. We know that not all developers support them. Not even Microsoft supports them under all their apps, their inbox apps. 
but they're not going away any t right now. Let's put it that way, okay? They're not going anywhere right now. But you can check them out. If you're running any of those advanced previews or maybe even production, they are starting to roll out. And they're nice-looking icons. But go read that story on Medium, and you'll get a look at all of the icons and their designs. Uh, what else? Windows 10, Windows 10 Edbot wrote about how long the next feature update will take to install because it looks like we're settling into, we're expecting a full build-to-build -build feature update this spring in 2004, and we expect that the fall release will be focused on stability with a handful of new features. So that will be a much quicker install because it will install like a cumulative update, just like Windows 10 1909 did last year. Uh, academic researchers, there are ways, uh, well, my apologies, I had to take about a five-minute break right there because I had a sneezing fit. Uh, I often get these due to allergies and, and dust and allergens and things like that, so <clears throat> you didn't miss anything because I paused the uh, recording of the podcast, but I am now back after about five minutes of having a sneezing fit. So, continuing from where I was, we were talking about academic research skills and how they can transfer to industry. A really good article of insight from Microsoft. Uh, if you're new to Windows 10, and I know many of you listening to this are not new to Windows 10, but if you wanted to share with family members who maybe are new, there's a new series of videos coming out of Microsoft called Simply Windows. They're very short, very much bite-sized kind of content. And they are perfect for understanding and getting to learn certain basic elements of Windows 10. Uh, my good friend Doug Thompson, who used to do the office uh, videos, uh, is part of the, the brain trust behind these. So it's good. I saw him on camera for one. He did share with me that his primary role is behind the camera, scripting and things like that. Excuse me. But um, it is, it's a neat little set series of videos. So you can go to YouTube. I've got a link to the story about him, and then you can get a link to the YouTube channel for them. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, what else? Um, Tactical Considerations for Creating Windows Deployment Rings, a really good, insightful article if you are in the enterprise organization trying to manage what version of Windows you have on different devices. This will allow you to build a concrete plan for how you'll deploy uh, release, you know, uh, production, release preview, and slow ring, and then fast ring if you're testing those things. And it doesn't look like we're going anywhere when it comes to the testing of Windows 10 and the distribution of Windows 10 updates about every six months. So that means you, you, you have to kind of embrace it in a form and figure out how you want to do it at your company so that you are on the most, most recent version you can be on and prepared, preparing for the next one. So check that story out on the Microsoft tech community. Uh, and then Android 11 previews are already out. My wife's phone only just got Android 10, Android 10 this past week. She's on a Samsung Galaxy S9 on T-Mobile, so, so she just got the update this past week. <clears throat> I'll say this about the upgrade from Android 9 to Android 10. I did the upgrade, didn't change any settings or anything on her phone, it kept all her defaults, and she hasn't run into any usage UI-based problems. So a really good, solid kind of transition from one to the other. But now Android 11 Preview is out. So if you're a developer and you want to get in early on that, you can. Uh, a really interesting story here. So if you've ever been in Edge and browse to a Google website, you sometimes get a pop-up that says, don't you want to open this in Chrome, which is where it should be done, or, or Google recommends switching to Chrome to use extensions securely if you're doing extensions. It's really weird, especially the fact that Microsoft Edge is based on Chromium, <clears throat> and you can install extensions from the Chrome Web Store. So this, uh, this story is interesting because Bleeping Computer, or How To Geek, uh, references Bleeping Computer. They researched into it, and they kind of looked into it, um, but they got they did update their story to say Google confirmed the theory telling Bleeping Computer that Microsoft Edge doesn't support Google's safe browsing feature. And Google can't remotely remove malicious extensions from Microsoft Edge browsers. So it's an interesting kind of take. And being, I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on, on the folks that work on Edge <clears throat> and see if we get any information on this. But it's just it's interesting to always see how that reaction is. Edge is Chromium-based, but yet there's still these little pings every once in a while when you're on a Google property to get you to switch to Chrome. <coughs> uh, I apologize. All this is remnants of the sneezing fit, okay? I am fine. I am healthy. I'm just having a bit of an aller allergic reaction here. Uh, oh, hey, how about this? We got word in the last couple weeks, few weeks, that Outlook, Microsoft, is working on cloud signatures. You know how you can you save, build a signature and save it in Outlook to use on email, right? You can build a unique signature uh, block for every different account you have or use the same one on all of them or multiples or whatever you want. Well, apparently, 
one of the features coming down the road to Outlook is cloud-based signatures. So when you do a signature on one device, it will sync to other devices. Yes, yes, yes. This will be so awesome because I always have to go into my sent email box, copy the block out, and put it on the new machine. To have that syncing via the cloud, will be. It, it's a small thing, but it will be tremendous to be able to have that, that flexibility to do that. <clears throat> Really good blog post here from Windows Central about five things you need to know about Windows 10X containers, UWP, Universal Windows Platform, and Win32 apps. Uh, Microsoft also announced their new Universal Print, a cloud-based printing solution for enterprises. This should eliminate the need for print servers, and it should eliminate the need for print drivers on different devices. So this could really be a big plus for IT and reduce a lot of footprint when it comes to support. And then Google wrote about their support of the mobile app ecosystem. They've been talking a lot about security of the apps and security of the Play Store because there's been so much reporting about malicious apps. Uh, most of them malicious in the sense they're click farms and they're ad revenue generating click farms as apps. But uh, they wrote about that. They talked about a new podcast series called Apps, Games, and Insights. So that's to help people understand a little bit better about the Play Store and the process of getting apps in there. Uh, and then Google also announced that now the Google Assistant can read web pages to you. So if you say you're in the car and you want it, you, you pull something up, you can have it read to you. You can have it read to you while you're working at your desk. So a really nice feature for Google Assistant to be able to do that kind of functionality. Uh, Apple also, we got reports, there were rumors reported that they're working on an ARM-based device for 2021. Microsoft's been, just released their first ARM-based device in conjunction with AMD last fall. That's the uh, Windows Pro X. And so we'll keep watching for that and see if uh, Apple is looking to go in the same market. Funny story, Apple told uh, movie makers or tells movie makers that villains cannot use an iPhone. And this is according to Rian Johnson, who directed a recent movie called Knives Out. <clears throat> and he uh, was told he was not allowed to have the bad people, the bad guys, use an Apple phone. Interesting. Uh, Apple's also potentially working on an internet recovery feature for iOS. Uh, if you remember right, we've got a similar feature on Windows 10 where you can do a cloud download and restore from that. Opera has come out with their 2020 version, what they call R2020, new branding, new features, and stuff like that. So it has been a while since I poked around Opera as a browser. I think I'm going to have to install this and give it a look and see how it is. Next to Edge, my favorite is Firefox. I mean, I keep, a, I keep an install of Firefox around just in case I have any compatibility issues. Uh, which laptop is best for you? What are the 10 essential specs and options you should consider before you go shopping? This is another great Edbot post, of course. Um, and he writes about the fact that if you're going shopping for a PC, then he's got uh, some recommendations for you about your platform, whether it be Mac or Windows, display, your weight, the form factor, battery life, CPU, GPU, memory, storage, uh, keyboard, touchpad, networking, and Bluetooth support, and then biometrics and whether or not they're on there or not. It's a really good article there to kind of collect your thoughts and think about what you want to do in those things and how you might want to approach the purchase of your next device. Next up, we saw a really cool feature about uh, The Mandalorian, which is a Disney Plus television show about the Star Wars universe and how it was shot on what they called a holodeck-esque set using Unreal Engine and how they uh, you know, used a fairly small soundstage with screen screens and screens that showed this in-engine, in, you know, computer-generated footage that was the background in a lot of these scenes. So it's a really cool kind of use of technology, but to also help kind of reduce the cost of things like that. We also heard that Redbox has now rolled out a free streaming service. I believe it's ad-supported is the way it goes. Comcast who already has Stream, which is for subscribers, has uh, acquired the ad-supported streaming service called Zumo, or Exumo, X-U-M-O, did not reveal how much, but I suspect that is going to be the basis of Comcast entry into either ad-supported streaming with potential to add subscriptions on there uh, to get rid of the ads. Like I said, they have something called Stream right now. That is part of an Xfinity subscribers package that you can access your DVR, you can access live TV, you just stream it through the browser. <clears throat> uh, let's see, oh, Phil Spencer talking about the next generation of gaming. Uh, this, this created and garnered a lot of buzz because what he talked about on here was the processor, uh, its capabilities, the graphics, uh, storage, SSD, the quick resume, uh, dynamic latency control, HDMI 2.1, 120 frames a second, 
you're going to be able to play four generations of gaming on this device. Original Xbox, Xbox 360, Xbox One, and then, of course, Xbox One Series X. Uh, smart delivery for delivering the games and the, the way you... So you'll get the right version of the game for the right platform so you get the maximum possible uh, experience on it, whether it be the graphics, performance, etc., etc., etc. And, of course, Xbox Game Pass is a big piece of this uh, package and stuff. And then he talked a little bit about uh, the current gaming generation. So... We got that from Phil Spencer. <clears throat> we got um, Microsoft's GameStack chief talking about the next generation of games and game development in an interview with VentureBeat. Uh, the February 2020 Xbox One update has been released, so that new platform or that new console and dashboard is out. We've been testing that in Insiders now for a while, uh, getting ready to move on to the next one here. Uh, Xbox One X's prices are dropping pretty quickly. Last fall, I picked up my Xbox One X um, for on sale for $350. Today, you can actually find those same consoles with an included game. Mine had an included game, too, um, for $300. So the prices are definitely dropping and probably potentially looking forward to the release of Xbox One Series X this fall. So if you're like me, I kind of jump in on the late stage of the next gen. So I follow along a year, year and a half later. So I benefit from those price drops. Uh, I am... I. I enjoy my console, but it is not a primary uh, piece of hardware that I'm on all the time, so I'm able to do that. I'm able to, to delay like that, and it's worked out pretty good. Project xCloud continues to grow. A really good road ahead here, writing from Paul Thorat on Thorat.com, that talks about Project xCloud and where it's headed. It, but right now, if you look at the offerings out there with Stadia from Google and Project xCloud, xCloud certainly has got the library chops for this kind of service. It's amazing the amount of stuff they're making available on there. Halo, Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary Edition is now available on PC with the Master Chief Collection. So before we had Master, uh, Halo Master Chief Collection, Halo Reach, and now Halo Combat Evolved has come out and joined that on PC. I've run through a little bit of the campaign. It's, it's a lot of fun to be back on there. Uh, I never played it much on console because I was never any good at controlling first-person shooters with a controller. I much prefer mouse and keyboard. Um, but you can use your controller on the PC version as well. <clears throat> Ring has decided that they are upping their security game finally, and they're going to require two-factor authentication for logins. Um, so if you are using Ring devices mandatory two-factor authentication to get in those and to control those, change things, and access the data. Uh, and tax fraud. It's tax season right now here in the United States for another six weeks. And tax fraud is a big, big widespread issue. So there's a really good story here from Investors Business Daily that talks about how you can fight that investor fraud. All right, so tech done. We're going to talk some more tech, but we're going to talk about space tech, right? So let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the space world. Uh, as I mentioned on Friday, I, I was down in Cocoa Beach for the launch of CRS-20 on a Falcon 9 by SpaceX, and I already talked about those details. What I didn't add is that since I was already down in the area and I was staying overnight, um, I had a free pass to get into Kennedy Space Center. So I went down and spent about five, five and a half, six hours at Kennedy Space Center. Uh, I visited the new Astronaut Hall of Fame. Really awesome 3D presentation where glasses and there's some interactive elements with breeze and wind and stuff like that. Really good feature. And then I uh, got to see the new Astronaut Hall of Fame. It used to be out on 407 coming into the Cape, coming into Kennedy Space Center uh, Visitors Complex, but now that is uh, located as part of the Visitor Center, so it's right there amongst everything else. You don't have to do something separate. Uh, so that was really cool. Of course, visited Atlantis. You cannot not go, you can't go to the Kennedy Space Center and not visit Atlantis. So visited Atlantis and, and went in and out of some of the other features that were there. So had a really good time. Spent a lot of time in the Atlantis building. And if you've been there before, you know, stay in the back. Stay in the back of the second phase of the Atlantis building because that's where the big unveil is and you get to watch people's reactions and stuff like that. So a lot of fun. I really enjoyed being down there for that. It was nice to take 24 hours off from schoolwork and everything else and just, it, you know, do something relaxing and recharge. Everybody should do that at some point. I, everybody should come visit Atlantis and Kennedy Space Center Visitors Complex, and everybody should come see a launch at some point. But it, it definitely is a plus to be able to take that time off. Whatever your passion is, take the time off to just kind of recharge, not worry about that other stuff, put it aside, and take, you know, some amount of time to recharge your batteries. <clears throat> All right, so let's hit the headlines. Virgin Galactic, they have start, resumed taking deposits for their spaceship to suborbital trips. Those have been put on hold for a while. Um, 
it's a first. One commercial satellite docked with another to demonstrate orbital servicing of satellites between satellites. That, that's just amazing, amazing stuff. Um, a data glitch. So Astra was trying to launch a rocket from Alaska, from Kodak, Kodiak, Alaska, as part of the $2 million DARPA launch challenge prize. Unfortunately, 53 seconds before launch, they had some glitch data, some bad data. They had didn't have time to fix it within the window, and so they missed their opportunity. But they're still going to launch. It may come a couple weeks from now, but it won't be part of that $2 million launch challenge prize. Uh, Relativity Space is a fairly new space venture that's going on, so I've got a link here to a story that talks about them and what they're doing. A lot of innovative uh, technology there with 3D printing and things of that nature. I've got a story here from the Scientific American Blog Network about preserving the night sky, specifically related to uh, Starlink and all those little satellites that are in the sky, creating uh, interference in observing and observations of the night sky. So you can read about that a little bit. Uh, if you were familiar with SETI, which is Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, the at-home search element, where you could take your computer and let it help give some uh, compute cycles over to searching for uh SETI through the different systems has now ended after so many years. So I, I did for a while have my machines participating in that, but it's been quite a while. Uh, and the International Space Station tied back to Microsoft technology. There is now an education edition of Minecraft that is the International Space Station. So a lot of fun connectivity there between space and Microsoft. On the NASA front, they're seeking applicants to go to the moon and Mars and beyond to be an astronaut. So if you're thinking you might want to apply, you can. I, I read from somebody on Twitter the other day that they applied just to get the, the, the letter back to say you are not been accepted. An official letter from NASA saying, yep, thanks for applying to be an astronaut, but you've not been accepted. I thought that was funny. Uh, and it would be interesting to do that, wouldn't it, to have that letter? And I'd put the letter on the wall. Why not? That'd be kind of cool. Uh, I do have a link to a second story here about an astronaut's guide to applying to be an astronaut. So if you're serious and you're sincere about applying, you've got the chops, you've got the, uh, the, the experience and stuff, do it. Absolutely do it. Even remotely have a chance. Do it. Uh, I think they said there were 18,000 applicants for the last cycle, the group of astronauts that just graduated and were, were made astronauts this year. Um, that came down to a group of 13, 18,000 to 13. Um, so it's certainly a very, very rare opportunity, but you can't get told no until you ask. Uh, small computers uh, doing big things on the International Space Station, so some interesting science there. And then the new NASA Mars rover, the one that's going to launch this summer from Kennedy Space Center, from Cape Canaveral Air Force Station on a uh, United Launch Alliance uh, Atlas V, I believe, heading to Mars, will be named Perseverance. A young man from Virginia, from a Virginia middle school, won the honor of having named that next Mars rover. And of course, this Mars rover is is upgraded and taking lessons learned from the previous Mars rover in order to kind of maybe opportunity and maximize opportunity. It's going to enter and land in very similar way that the last rover did. Uh, that What did they call it? The seven minutes of terror or something like that. It's going to be very, very similar to that. All right, SpaceX-wise, so... Uh, the it's we're just past the one year anniversary from the first launch of Crew Dragon. That's the launch that went up to space station, right? It had Riley in a SpaceX spacesuit uh, in one seat. It had the little Earth uh, stuffed uh, Earth in the other. Visited space station for a while and then came back with some cargo and things like that. So it's just been the one year anniversary. So there's pretty cool video of that. Um, and then. Elon Musk and SpaceX is building some starships down in Texas, in Boca Chica, Texas. And so there's a story here about how Musk is on track in a plan to build one starship a week. Uh, a lot of testing going to go on early, and they are testing things. Keep an eye on that because the, they are definitely paying attention, and they're doing, and they're developing the, the manufacturing process to be able to do this very routinely and very efficiently. <clears throat> uh, cargo resupply mission 20 that I've talked about already. Uh, I wanted to mention that SpaceX has also signed on with a new partner to do space tourism. They're going to launch potentially four civilians to the space station uh, as early as next year in Crew Dragon. So that'll be, I think I may have mentioned that last show too, but that's an interesting kind of thing that's going on. On the Boeing side, things still aren't going very well for Boeing, right? They had the Starliner orbital flight test. Uh, we know what happened with that. We know things didn't go well. They didn't get in the proper orbit. There were some computer and software-related malfunctions. They continue to investigate that. 
and because of that, Microsoft has now cons uh, signed off this last week. They announced, uh, not Microsoft, NASA has announced that they are signing off on a document that makes this a close call and that elevates the level of intensity around the safety review process. Uh, there's still no decision whether or not Boeing will be made to do what's called an OFT2, so an orbital flight test number two, because the one didn't go well. I, I don't know, you know, there were so many issues. They found 61 corrective actions for Boeing to take in the, um, the from that mission. Uh, they, Boeing even admitted that there were gaps in their software testing. And when you're talking about human, human people launching in this, you've got to be right. Uh, granted, accidents occur. We know that occurred. We've seen it with shuttle. We've seen it with Apollo. Uh, we've seen it with test flights, right? T-38s and things of that nature. Having just been down at Kennedy Space Center, I stood in front of that space mirror, the memorial, the Astronaut Memorial Foundation, and saw that even, you know, the lives of astronauts and people that were test pilots is a significant thing. So you have to be right on this. I, I would not be surprised at all. They're not saying it yet. But I would not be surprised at all that Boeing will be made to do a second orbital flight test to go through all the, the, the process to validate that the work, the significant work that's going on in the software in the Starliner is effective and works and results in a safe test. Uh, in the meantime, SpaceX is going to fly astronauts to the space station sometime this summer, April, May, June time frame. <clears throat> Excuse me. On the Blue Origin front, so I was down at Kennedy Space Center on Saturday, right behind this visitor center parking lot where you go into the parking lot, Blue Origin is building a massive facility there. It's got a vertical integration building. It's got manufacturer buildings. It looks like on the front side of it, there's offices and there are already people working there. Uh, I snapped some pictures. They're on my Twitter feed, so you can check them out there. But massive amount of expansion on the East Coast, here on the Space Coast, for Blue Origin. And it looks like they're going to they're gonna do launches out of there uh, and do for their suborbital flights the way they do their suborbital flights. So it'll be interesting to watch as that continues and goes on. Okay, long show. I know I've talked a lot about it, a lot of different things. I even got many, many breaks that I had to pause and catch my breath and to clear my throat and to go through a sneezing fit. Thank you for your patience. Uh, you certainly won't have to listen to those breaks and the sneezing fits, but my voice is a little hoarse now after that. Um, so I apologize for the, the audio here. It, it, it is what it is, but the show's in the can. Uh, I appreciate everybody continuing to listen and encourage me about this program and about this podcast. Uh, Faith Tech and Space is, a, is, like anything I do, is an act of passion. I enjoy being able to share from all three areas, faith, tech, and space with you all. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Everybody be safe out there. Stay healthy. Do the right things when it comes to all that stuff. Listen to the authorities when they tell you what you need to do in this sense. But stay safe. Keep your family safe. And blessings until the next time we meet again here on the Faith, Tech, and Space podcast. Take care, everybody. 